I'm praying for us today. God has been building to this day for us as a church. Everything that he's been putting in motion for us has been building. This is one more piece of his call to us as a local church, of his dream for us as a local church. I'm praying that he shifts our perspective today, that our eyes are opened and he gives us a fresh vision. A fresh vision for who he wants to be as a church. It's a small shift that we're going to be talking about today. Such a simple and small move, but it has the power and it has the potential to change our impact in this community for the sake of Jesus and the cause of his kingdom. Holy Spirit, help us today. You have led us into a season where you just keep pressing into us this command that you gave in Luke 24 that we talked about and wrestled through a couple of weeks ago. This command to wait on the Holy Spirit. Wait on the Holy Spirit. Our ears are open. God, get us into that place where we are waiting where we are listening so that we're ready to move when you move. Help us to not try to run out ahead of you. Help us not to try to create something that comes from us. We don't want to do that. We do not want to do that. That is exhausting. Help us to be a church and individuals and followers who walk in step with the Spirit because we're filled with the Spirit and it is just what we do. It is how we live. Lead us in that. Help us today. This is your time. We've been praying that for the first 15 minutes of our day as a church. We've been setting it aside and we've been praying and we've been saying this is your day. The agenda is yours. Holy Spirit, lead us. Teach me your way. Show me your paths. We are yours. And we pray that for this time too. This is your time. To your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1 verses 4 through 8. We're picking up in the story uh, where we've been over these last several weeks together. As we've been talking about this idea of Jesus school about walking with Jesus in the wake of the resurrection. Let's start here. Um, I want to I just reference what happens in verse 3 of this chapter. It tells us Luke, the author of the book of Acts, who's also the author of the Gospel of Luke that we've been studying together, he makes this statement that after Jesus had suffered his crucifixion, was buried in the grave, was raised back to life through the power of God, raised back to life, the resurrection, after that, it says that he walked with his disciples for 40 days, teaching them about the kingdom of God. Walking with them in this school, Jesus school, as he unpacks for them what the kingdom of God looks like in light of his crucifixion and his resurrection. And now there's a clear lens through which they can understand everything that he has taught them before. And not just everything that he's taught them, but everything that the scriptures have been pointing ahead to. It's all been pointing ahead to this. 
and it culminates in that moment. So Luke says that Jesus walks with them and he teaches them. He appears to them several times after his resurrection and he teaches them about the kingdom of God. We are intentionally sitting in this season because in church history and around the world, several churches, many churches around the world are observing what is called Eastertide. It is a season in the Christian calendar, in the traditional church calendar that comes after Easter because Easter is not just a day. Easter is just the beginning and we are walking in the reality of the resurrection. And so that's what we've been doing here together. In verse four, it says this. Luke goes on to to say this. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. And this is referencing what we've already talked about in Luke 24. This is just another account of the same thing. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father has promised. Wait for the Holy Spirit. Wait for the Holy Spirit. Here's Jesus in full resurrection power. All authority of heaven and earth. He could storm the, the, the Roman like headquarters, right? And, the, and, and go right up into Pilate's room, right? And say, you messed up, man. You messed with the wrong person. He could do that, but he doesn't do that. He could go to the temple. The religious leaders who conspired to put him to death, he could show up and prove to them how wrong they were. He doesn't do that. He could go right back down the middle of Jerusalem again like he did on the day of the triumphal entry and he could have everybody crown him as king. He doesn't do that. Instead, he tells his disciples, this is my strategy. You wait for the Holy Spirit. You wait for the Holy Spirit. I'm going to change the world, but I'm going to do it through you. I'm going to do it through you and it will be more convincing and long, longer lasting than if I did any of those other spectacular things in fact it is the most miraculous thing isn't it isn't that the most miraculous thing that the very presence of God now lives in believers it's incredible wait for the Holy Spirit the the gift that my father promised that you've heard me talk about for John baptized with water but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit amen amen So this powerful thing that Jesus says, and we're going to continue, actually. Let's just keep moving on, okay? So he goes on. Look look at verse 6. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? See, they're in the same old mindset. They haven't been filled with the Spirit yet, so they're not able to see clearly. They haven't had that shift of vision quite yet. He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the dates that that the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is the design. This is God's plan for his church. In fact, if you look at that statement right there, that is like a table of contents for the whole rest of the book of Acts. Follow the story through and it plays out to that right there. That's what he tells them. First of all, you will receive power. You will receive power. This must have been such an encouraging thought to this tiny little group of people who were absolute nobodies. 
in the eyes of everybody else. What can you possibly do? You saw what we did to your leader and then you scattered when it happened. What can you do? But Jesus says you're going to receive power, not political, not positional. It won't be prestige. It won't be prominence. It will be the kind of power that comes from outside of you, but it will continually well up from within you. And I will lead you from that place and I will change the world through that. You will receive power. Paul says the kingdom of God is not about talk, but about power. Right. The kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but a matter of power. And there's a pastor named John Tyson who recently said, unfortunately, we now live in such a way that we have reversed that. And so many of our lives, it's not about power. It's not a matter of power. It's a matter of talk. God, help us to be people who walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, who are transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit, who are led by it. That people can see a noticeable difference in us because of what you're doing, the power alive in us. He goes on to say this, you'll receive power and you will be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses. Now, immediately when it says that, a lot of uh, if you have any kind of church background, then you're starting to get nervous right now. Because you think we're going to go out on Friday night and I'm going to give you a bunch of pamphlets and we're going to just walk up to random people on Franklin Street, hand them a pamphlet and start talking about Jesus to total strangers. All right. If that's what God has called you to do, then you better do that and don't be embarrassed of it. You better do it and don't be embarrassed of it. But for many of us, that's not the way that God has called us to operate. Okay, for many of us, we're not called to operate in that way. But every single one of us is called to be a witness. Every single one of us is called to be a witness. Well, I don't have the spiritual gift of evangelism. Too bad. Right. The people with the spiritual gift of evangelism. Absolutely. They're leading the way for us. But every single disciple of Jesus is called to be a witness to the change that has happened in our lives, to the power of Jesus in our lives, the power of his grace at work in us. I think it's so interesting that Jesus chooses this word in the Greek language that this book is written in, that the New Testament is written in. The word witness here has a distinctly legal kind of idea to it, right? It's a witness that would be called in a court of law. And that's encouraging for us. And it's also challenging to us because here's the deal. You are not the judge who delivers the verdict. The witness is not the jury. The witness is not the prosecution. The witness is not the impressive speaker who delivers this kind of debate and hits every angle of the argument to sway the entire room. That's not what the witness does. The witness simply takes a seat and begins to tell the truth about a personal experience. That's what the witness does. The witness simply gives a testimony. I'm not telling you what all it means. All I know is this is what happened. This is what happened. I might not be able to explain it fully, but this is what happened. I might not be able to explain it, but I cannot explain it away. And in many times... It is the testimony of a witness, not the debate of the lawyer. 
It's the testimony of witness that sways the whole case because it becomes the most compelling evidence. Simply tell the truth about your personal experience. We want to help you in that. That's not an easy thing. So we want to try to equip you and empower you in that. We have these things out in the lobby that we call Love Lab because we say discipleship needs to go beyond a lecture and into the lab. You've got to be working this out every single day. So we want to try to equip you and empower you with that. Grab one of these. We have three simple steps that we challenge you to take. Number one, live a questionable life. Live a questionable life. For some of you, you're like, check. (laughs) What we mean by that is live the kind of life that sparks questions. Make people ask questions about your life because of the way that you live. Step two, don't be afraid to answer. Don't be afraid to answer. You can't give this little coy, like shy answer about, well, I guess I just have a charming personality, okay? No, no. Point it to Jesus. Point it to Jesus. And number three, simply share your Jesus story. You don't have to have a degree in theology or apologetics. You don't have to know every single argument. There will be people who will try to find every hole in the argument of Christianity. You don't have to worry about that. All you have to do is tell about your personal experience. I don't know about all that, but what I do know is that Jesus did this in my life. And that becomes the most compelling argument. We have a friend here today named Kate. Kate is a theater student at UNC, and she lives that kind of life. She met a friend named Gabriella who found her life questionable. She even used that language, which I love. It sparked questions. Gabriella came out of a religious background but didn't know much about a personal relationship with Jesus. So she started asking questions to Kate because she could see there was something different. Then Kate had that opportunity, and she took the opportunity to tell about her personal experience. Today, Gabriella is a great part of this church, and this afternoon, Kate and Gabriella are going down into Morgan Creek together, and they're getting baptized side by side. Yeah, amen. Come on. Live a questionable life. Be a witness. That is the design of the church. That is what Jesus has called us to. I find this very interesting. In verse 8, when he talks about the scope of where the kingdom is going to go, he mentions these specific places. Jerusalem is where it's going to start, he says. But then it'll spread to Judea and then into Samaria, and then beyond Samaria to the ends of the earth. What a beautiful hope, what a beautiful vision that Jesus casts of what the kingdom of God is going to look like and what the church is going to accomplish in the world. But there's something interesting that we see as we go through the rest of the book of Acts. We get this powerful moment in Acts chapter 2 where the Holy Spirit is poured out on the believers And people are convinced and people come into relationship with Jesus Christ through the spirit-filled life of the apostles and that witness of the apostles. Powerful. 
And then it says in chapter 2, verses 47, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Isn't that miraculous? Don't you wish you could see that? Don't you long to see that? I, I pray for us to see that, that the Lord would add to our number daily those who were being saved. And that seems absolutely beautiful. But as we look back at the promise of Acts chapter 1, verse 8, we see that as we move further into Acts, it actually hasn't been fulfilled yet. Because as the book gets going, yes, it's absolutely taking off. Christianity is growing and the Lord is adding to their number daily those who are being saved. But it basically stays concentrated in Jerusalem. It stays built around the hub of the apostles. And it stays right there in Jerusalem. And it makes a massive impact in Jerusalem. And that's beautiful. But that's not what Jesus said in chapter 1, verse 8. He said, and then Judea, and then Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. So we absolutely honor and pray to see Acts chapter 2 happen all over again. But we realize that's not the full picture yet. There's a part that's still missing. And we don't see Acts chapter 1, verse 8 fulfilled until Acts chapter 8, verse 1. 1 8 begins to happen in chapter 8, verse 1. Here's what it says On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem. What kind of great persecution is, is Paul? At this point, he's known as Saul. He is the chief enemy of the church, and he's set out to stop the movement of Jesus before it has a chance to start. And he is in this violent opposition and oppression of Christianity. He has just put to death the first Christian martyr, Stephen. It just happened at the end of chapter 7. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria and beyond. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged them off, men and women, and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered, watch this part. Remember before the apostles have been scattered, right? And they're scattered and they go into hiding when Jesus is arrested and crucified. But now something's different because they're filled with the Holy Spirit and their response is different. Now those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. They're running for their lives, but they're filled with a boldness while they do it. And they continue to take the gospel wherever they go. And where does it say that they head? Judea, Samaria, beyond. Acts 1.8 doesn't happen until Acts 8.1. And we don't have the fulfillment of the vision of Jesus until this. Absolutely. We love chapter 2, verse 47. The Lord added to their number daily. But in chapter 8, he starts multiplying. He goes beyond addition and he starts to multiply. And as it spreads out, that's when the movement really starts to get moving. I love it. It's so Powerful. One of the things that we've said from the beginning is this. Chapel Hill, we recognize, is a very transient community. 
And not many people stay here for an extended part of time. Half of our church are college students. And many of you will graduate and you will go off to different places. And when you do, what you need to understand is we don't see it as we're losing you. We love you and we will miss you. But we're not losing you. We are sending you. You are being sent out. And everywhere you go, whatever the Holy Spirit has done in your life in this place, you are taking it with you. Amen. Carly, when you go to California, you're taking it with you. Tyler, when you go overseas to work with International Justice Mission in Africa, you're taking it with you. Corey and Corey that we prayed over and commissioned to go to Portland, they're going and they're taking it with them. It's multiplication. It's beyond addition. That is kingdom math right there. So often we get wrapped up with how can we add more people into this room right here? And I think Jesus obviously wants to see that happen. He wants to see more people impacted, but he's tapping us on the shoulder and saying, no, no, you've got to see the whole board. Your vision is too small right now. It's not about just adding people to a room. It's about who can you send out. It's not about addition It's about multiplication. Wouldn't we be thrilled if next week there were 100 more people in this room than right now? Right? We'd be thrilled. We'd be like, wow, what's happening? This is amazing. The Holy Spirit's moving. And we would be thrilled. That would be incredible, no doubt. But that's addition. That's addition. You know what would be better? Is if every person who's in this room right now would say, in my lifetime, I want to be a witness and an impact and disciple three people, two people in a relationship with Jesus. Let's start with two. All right. (laughs) Let's just move that on back. (laughs) Two people. Two people to disciple in a relationship with Jesus. Well, two. No, no, that's not nearly the impact of 100. But if two people in a room of if all of us in a room of 200 reach two people then the impact would go from 100 to 400. That's multiplication. And that's kingdom math. And that's what we want to see happen. That's what we want to see happen. Jesus tells us, and he shows us that discipleship always involves three things. Number one, the call. Number two, the cost. And number three, the commission. None of those have changed since the New Testament. The call has stayed the same. Come follow me, he says. Come follow me. That's what discipleship is, is following Jesus. Number two, the cost. Jesus makes it very clear. Lay down your life and take up the cross. It's very clear. It's very clear. As we've said before here. We often try to complicate discipleship and create all of these things to do because we want to make it easy. We complicate it because we want to make it easy. We want to avoid the cost part. I'll show up to six things in the week if I don't actually have to pay the cost of taking up my cross. We complicate it because we want to make it easy. Jesus always kept it simple because he knew how hard it is. The call, the cost, and the final is this, the commission. Jesus makes it very clear. Go and make disciples. If you're a disciple of Jesus, you are called to make more disciples 
of Jesus. That is what it is about. That's what it has always been about since the very beginning. And that is multiplication. Becoming a disciple is square one. Beginning to make disciples is seeing the whole board. And we need to see the whole board. There's an old legend about the invention of chess. Many of you have probably heard it. The inventor of chess was this brilliant mathematician, but a humble and poor person. The king was so blown away by this invention, by this brilliant strategic game, that he said to this humble and poor mathematician, I'll give you whatever you want. This is incredible. Your reward, you name it, and you can have it. And the mathematician said something very strange. He said, this is all I want for my reward. It's very simple. All I want is on the first square of the chessboard, please place one grain of wheat. Okay, done. We can do that. And then on the second square, please double that. And then on the third square, please double it. And then continue to double it throughout the board. That seemed like a very simple and easy request, and the king agreed. And as you move through the board, it does look so easy. Square one is just one. Square two is just two. Square three is four. Square four is eight. It just doesn't seem to move very fast. By the time you get all the way to square 10, you're only at 512 grains of wheat. That seems like nothing. That seems like nothing. But then a strange thing starts to happen as the multiplication moves forward by the time you get to square 21 a jump from square 10 that just has 512 by the time you get to square 21 you're already over 1 million by the time you get to square 31 just 10 more squares you're already over 1 billion and by the time you get to the 64th square the number is 9 quintillion which I'm told is a thing, (laughs) 223 quadrillion, 372 billion, I mean trillion, 36 billion, 854 million, 775,807. Exactly. One matters, people. Got you on that one. <laughs> Every one matters. Every one matters. Let's quit messing around with addition. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to move us into multiplication. I love Acts chapter 2. I don't want to live in Acts chapter 2. I don't want to live in Acts chapter 2. I want us to get to the place where multiplication is happening. Now, here's the difficult thing. That doesn't, that doesn't show up on your attendance sheet. It's hard to track. It's hard to track. But the impact, man, the impact cannot be measured. The impact of that cannot be measured. Can you commit today to disciple two people in your lifetime? to be a witness to them, 
to live the kind of questionable life that sparks the questions. Then you tell them about your personal Jesus experience and then begin to walk with them and what it means to follow Jesus. Can you do that with two people in your lifetime? I'm not talking about this week. Lifetime. And then will you commit them and say, here's what I need you to do. I need you to do this for two more people. And then it just adds and multiplies and multiplies and multiplies, and it gets absolutely out of control. We need to see the whole board. Discipleship starts on square one by becoming a disciple. But making disciples is seeing the whole board. Every one of you was given two pawns as you walked in today from a chessboard. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I want you to pray over these two. And ask God to give you two people. God, give me two people that I can be a compelling witness to, that I can lead into a relationship with you, and that I can disciple so that they are walking in relationship with you, and that I can multiply and get them to commit to two more. And then what if you held on to these until God gives you your two people? And that first person, you give them the first one. And that second person, you give this one away. And then you tell them, hey, each person, each time you do this, give it away. And then tell them to give it away to somebody else. Where in the world would these things end up? Where in the world could these things end up? You're the front line. Of the kingdom. You're the first move. You're the first move. We don't have bishops and knights and queens. We have one queen, one king. We have one king, and the rest of us are the front line. You're the first move. Could God give you two people? Do you commit to that today? Take these with you. Pray over them. And then with joy, give them away. Give them away. We have to see the whole board. We have to have our vision changed. If we will do that then this small room right here has a chance to impact the world in a way that we can never measure. Holy Spirit, we are yours. Our agenda is yours. Every move is yours. Multiply us. Multiply us. We're not asking to get credit for rapid growth. We're asking for a grassroots, underground, hard to trace, but impossible to keep up with 
kind of influence and impact. Let us play that role we're asking you. Give us the wisdom to know how to do it. Give us the strategy to know how to do it. And then give us the fruit from it. As your spirit sends us out, just like you've done since the dawn of the church. It's in your name we pray. Amen.